You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. What do you think my hair is going to look like? Because they don't know. And guess what? I don't know either. None of us, none of us know. We have to figure it out by going through the process because we don't know. We have never given it a chance to live. We've never given it an opportunity to exist and interact with this world and take its form in the way that it sees fit. It has never been allowed to breathe. to share who you are and what you do, do you get excited and instantly know what you'll say? Well, if the answer is no, I want you to know that you are not alone. So many people can feel incredibly nervous and feel like all the words that they had in their mind or who they are has just completely left their body when they have to answer the question of who they are or when they're asked to send over a bio or when they're asked to tell me a little bit about yourself. (laughs) different iterations of the same question. But I think underneath that question is the bigger question. Who are you? And one of the things that we've been exploring in Pause and the Play of the Community is the idea that you can design your identity, that your identity does not have to be who it was yesterday or what somebody else told you that you must be because X, Y, Z thing, that you get to craft your identity and we can take identity or who we are from being this passive thing to an active act a decision, a choice on what we want that to be going forward from today and that we can choose to change that again tomorrow if we want. And so when I think about identity and exploring that, it is so wrapped up in brand visibility because when we're showing up, we're constantly being asked this question of who are you and what do you believe in and what do you support and what do you value and where are you going? And there's immense power in those answers. I also want to be transparent here that, believe it or not, hundreds of podcast interviews later, this question still feels uncomfortable even for me to answer. And truthfully, talking about myself has had this slight energy of awkward, (laughs) even if it's the awkward introduction to someone I don't know at a party or an event. Those things can bring up the same things for me, and they can be said for my clients. So when I say that you're not alone, you truly are not alone, that this is a part of the process. But I do think that when we take the time to relook at identity as something that was passively determined for us, 
And now retool that as something that we are actively designing for ourselves. It can reduce the awkwardness level, if that if that's a, even a thing. <laughs> so as we dig into this, in today's episode, I am bringing a guest to you, Erica Corday, and I'll tell you more about her in a moment. And we're going to be digging into identity. We're going to be talking about our hair journeys because a lot of how we see ourselves literally in the mirror is wrapped up in our hair sometimes and also how people perceive us. We're going to be talking about public image and self-image. We're going to be discussing her experiences as a stylist and helping other people transition their hairstyles and how the decision to even change something as simple as your hair or your makeup or your wardrobe can really leave you in this liminal space or this in-between, as some therapists call it, where you can feel like you're having an identity crisis because you're in this middle zone of integrating this new part of yourself into the way that others get to see you. And that question can come up in that phase of what does this change or what does this new addition say about me or who I am? You're listening to Flaunt Your Fire, the branding and visibility podcast where we own our values as we amplify our influence. I am your host, India Jackson, and today I am joined by Erica Corday, the co-founder of my online community, Pause on the Play. Erica Corday is a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and executive teams committed to shifting focus, power, and resources in order to create more equity in their business and the world. The cornerstone of her work, Imperfect Action, allows public figures to engage in vulnerable topics, exploring their privilege, and prioritize every person's role in shifting culture. In 2018, Erica launched the Pause and the Play podcast after receiving requests from listeners for a space to connect on the show's topics. Erica expanded the Pause and the Play brand to include a community and consultancy. Her leadership has now helped hundreds of individuals define their values, diversify their networks, and call people into conversations about inclusivity and social change. A certified coach and 20-plus year beauty industry veteran, Erica has provided training for established businesses such as Blue Cross Blue Shield, Martha Beck Incorporated, Paul Mitchell School as well. Her voice has been featured on podcasts, workshops, and online communities with a combined reach of over 10,000 people. You can learn more about Erica and our work together by visiting pauseontheplay.com. And let's dig into this week's episode. Welcome back, Erica. Hey, hey there. So we've been friends for a while. A long while. I was going to say, I'm like, oh, wow, feels like a gross understatement, but I'll I'll rock with it. (laughs) Facts. And I was thinking about um, a conversation that we had just a few days ago where the conversation of like your hair and the way that it grows out of your head came up. You know what I'm talking Mm about? Mm -hmm. I do. And so I thought it'd be interesting to bring that here to the podcast because I feel like there's so many people exploring their public image here with us on Flaunt Your Fire and how they show up, why they show up, where they show up. And I think part of that is also like your personal image and your identity. There's zero question in my mind that that is 100% accurate. And, you know, the years that I have spent 
in the beauty industry, literally being behind the chair and uh, servicing people with their hair, I learned firsthand what I didn't language in the same way back then, but just this, you know, innate understanding that your hair is such a pivotal piece of your identity, how you perceive yourself, how you interact with others or lack thereof. And I didn't, I didn't realize it in those types of terms, but like, you know, I try to disconnect people from like, you are not your hair. And at the same time you are. Mm. And it's like, how do you hold space for both of those things? So one of the things that's been rolling around in my mind for a while is zooming out for a second, just this bigger concept that you can, you get to decide and design your identity. Like it doesn't have to be what you were born with. It doesn't have to be what other people say it should be or other people decide it currently is. You can take that power back and design what you want your identity to be from today going forward. And I think that when we can think about that, it then opens up so many possibilities of saying, if you started over today, what would you design that as? You know, would you even wear your hair (laughs) the way that you've always worn it? Or might, as you start examining that, see that there's some pieces in that of you were doing what you thought you needed to do or should do. I have to acknowledge a big piece, though, that I don't know if everyone explicitly understands. And it's that you have the choice of allowing your identity to be passively crafted by others for you, or you can intentionally and purposefully craft it for yourself and you can change it if you choose. Right. And that's, thank you for winding it back on that and emphasizing that piece, because I also think that one of the things that even I have fallen trapped to many years ago, way before I even got into modeling was the idea that like, okay, so now even if I have decided, let's just say hypothetically, you decided what your identity is Mm -hmm. and you've crafted that yourself, that you're locked into it for life. And it's like, no, you can, you can change it at any moment if you choose to, you don't have to stay the same forever. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the piece around identity that I don't think is often kind of dissected that, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to talking a little bit more about it is that people will hear overarching terms or themes and assume what that means and what that will in turn mean about them. So if someone says, oh, I'm going natural. I mean, it brings forth very specific visual images and connotations of who and how you are. And I think that we have to play an active part in taking these words and deciding what they mean for us actively at that particular moment and not feeling like, oh, well, this is what this means. So it then means this about me. And that's not necessarily true. So we have to be more active in that. Yeah. So I want to play with that for a little bit for for yourself. You know, what does going natural even mean? I think for me personally, it was partially it was out of necessity because my hair was literally breaking off at one point. I mean, this was probably 13, 14 years ago and having a relaxer and color 
and lightener all at the same time. And my hair was like, ooh, you tried it. I'm about to be all on this floor. And so it was out of necessity. And so natural, you know, from a very tangible place was simply not, you know, chemically straightening my hair. Now, um, I will uh, occasionally and have over the years colored it, but I did not chemically alter the texture of my hair. Um, And I began to work with what my hair inherently did as it grew out of my head and figuring out, okay, what are my options? What do I like? What feels good to me? What do I like when I look in the mirror? Uh, What do I feel like fits my personality or the outfit I'm wearing, just the vibe at that moment. And so for me, it was giving myself additional options, but choosing to not change the curl pattern of how my hair came out of my head. Did you have any like ideas in your mind of what that would be like before you started it? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know what, it was going to do. So I want to acknowledge that the hair that I felt like I had as a kid was not the hair that I had when I I stopped like relaxing it. So I kind of didn't know, but I remembered specifically, you know, having clients that if they would decide to go natural or even just were like, let me try and see if I can do it. Because for anyone that um, has never witness someone going through that process or has never done it for themselves, it is a process. And you are literally allowing two textures of hair to be there at one time. And it is not always the easiest thing to navigate, especially on a daily basis. Yeah. Can we pause on that for a moment and like dig a little bit deeper? Because I also transitioned my hair from chemically straightened or as people refer to it as relaxed to natural um, after meeting you, <laughs> actually, you inspired that. Um, and that in between period that people call the transition phase, you are literally holding space for super, in my case, super curly hair at the root that requires a lot of water based hydration at the same time that your ends are like, about as straight as they're going to get. And it's like, what do you do with these two different hair textures? And that line where they meet is like super fragile. Right. And it needs different products. You, you manage it differently. You style it differently. So it is like duality in the worst kind of way sometimes to try to figure it out. And it does require a lot of extra time and effort. But the piece that I often find is overlooked is the mindset that has to shift with making such a change in the same way that, you know, I'm sure you understand that you can't begin to go into the gym and change your um, way of eating your nutrition and your health as a whole, but mentally you're still operating in the same uh, mindset and with the old paradigms, like it doesn't work. Yeah. uh, I will say like, it's a great analogy for me because that transition period I'm currently going through right now as this is being recorded. And the gym is the hardest part of it because I'm so used to, you know, my hair not getting bigger <laughs> because it got moist. Right. And now, oh, your favorite word, moist. I was going to say, I was like, you know, I hate the word. Oh, God. Oh, I hate the word moist. It is the, oh, yuck, 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 yuck. I, I can feel it. Oh, God, sorry. Oh, no. 
All right. For those of you listening in this episode, Erica has some things with certain words. Moist is one of them. Oh, she said it again. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, my one of my favorite activities is working out. And like that's been the biggest challenge I have right now is as soon as I sweat, you clearly know that I have different roots and I do ends. And I'm wondering how this may have shown up for you in your transition uh, many, many years ago, because you did that like forever ago. You've been natural since I've known you. Yeah. Um, But I can say for me, that weird in-between phase, the very first time that I did this uh, at like 20, 22, Erica. uh, That's about right. Something like that. Right. (laughs) It was the first time I'd ever seen my natural texture. The challenge at that era of my life is I had never seen my natural hair. So I carried this weird energy somewhere between self-discovery and shame at the fact that I literally had two different lives on my head. One life of conformity and one life of like, hell yeah, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I love that you laid it out that way because it's very accurate. Because as Black women, we grew up being conditioned to relax our hair because that was what you were supposed to do. That was a part of being acceptable. Um, And I'm going to use the accurate word, which is assimilating. And to then decide to no longer assimilate in that way, and to, as you said, literally, you're seeing two different lives on your head. It is, it is, it is kind of shocking. And again, this is the emotional and the mindset piece that isn't really acknowledged. And I want to acknowledge the piece that I don't think a lot of people think of either, which is that you're seeing this as an adult. You've never seen that before. But the hair that was there as a child, the hair that you received, you know, as you continued to go through puberty and as a teenager and you're evolving, you don't have the same head of hair in any of those stages. So often people that do decide I'm not going to relax it anymore. They're like, wait, I didn't know I had this hair, which was what I went through because the hair that I had as a child was not the same. But why would I assume that the child, the the hair that I had as a child, some of which was might've been what I had out of the womb was going to be the exact same thing that I would have as an adult with an active menstrual cycle and all different types of hormones that are now coming through my body that were not at a younger age. And we don't think about the fact of we have relaxed our hair into submission. And then when we let it grow out, it is literally shedding a skin. It brings to mind the one of the ending scenes of one of my favorite movies, The Wiz, when Eveline, the evil queen, for anyone that has not watched The Wiz, is, is finally dies and they literally are like shedding a skin to, oh, this is who I am under here? And I don't think that it's truly understood in that way, but it's accurate. You are a whole nother human under this and it takes time and effort and dedication and in purposeful and intentional evolution to even get there. I know this sounds way deeper, but hair is real. It is real. Yes, all of that. And one of the key things that you hit on, and this may be true for some, maybe not for others, but for me, was that my hair had been being relaxed, not by my choice, but by the choice of my biological mother since I was Same. very little. So I was seven. <laughs> That's young. 
Yeah. So I can't even remember what my natural hair looked like as a child. So going into this at like 20, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let, let's just see. Let's just see where this goes. Right. Um, and then to get into that place and to allow it to get long enough to actually be able to see what the texture is. I'm like, wow, this is actually beautiful. Why was this ever happening to me against my choice? And why did I adopt that, you know, so far into my adulthood just because it was what I had always known. The funny part is, and and what might not be acknowledged here that I want to call out explicitly is that part of what we're talking about is consent. And granted, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old may not have the same level of awareness of what they are or are not consenting to, but there was not even an opportunity for consent with most of us at all. It wasn't even considered that, why would I ask my child? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the parent. And for most of us, it was our mothers. Uh, and I understand that's a binary, but that was it was accurate at that point. Um, and th- there's a big difference now. Like when I do things with my kid's hair, yes, it needs to be done from a point of like, this is what we need to navigate and how we need to be responsible for it. But I don't do it without having a discussion with them. And there was no consent. And the interesting thing about it was the consent was taken away. And so was the awareness because every single person that I have ever interacted with, whether I was actually physically their hairstylist or just someone that was in conversation with me, they're like, well, what do you think my hair is going to look like? Because they don't know. And guess what? I don't know either. None (laughs) None of us know. We have to figure it out by going through the process because we don't No, we have never given it a chance to live. We've never given it an opportunity to exist and interact with this world and take its form in the way that it sees fit. It has never been allowed to breathe. Mm. So I actually don't know the answers to these questions, which is rare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So therefore, I feel inclined to ask them, but... At what age were you when you decided to first transition into letting your natural hair be the hair on top of your head? <laughs> um, well, I think even in my late teens, early 20s, which for me was, you know, beginning my cosmetology journey as an apprentice and then actually, you know, being a full stylist, I began kind of looking into what some alternatives were. And I remember being very disappointed that there really were not any options because back then the alternative was kind of like this, like, oh, you're going to go natural. You're going to wear a dashiki and you're going to smell like patchouli and your hair is going to be everywhere. Are you going militant? Are you like, what are we doing here? You going to put the fist up, Angela Davis? What's happening? (laughs) So there was a very specific idea of what that would say about you if you did that. And there, there really weren't a lot of options. And I had tried a few times in my like mid twenties. And there were times where I had cut my hair very, very, very short. Um, for any of you that have been to India's Instagram, you may have seen some of the photos where her hair is, is very close, closely cropped. I've worn my hair like an inch on the top and like shaved down on the sides. And so I tried at different points just to kind of see what was going to happen. But there really wasn't any intentionality around it, which was why I think it probably never stuck and stuck, stuck, stuck is not a word, stuck. <laughs> um, and even then I still relaxed it when really I 
probably could have just let it be then. And the interesting part is even when it was relaxed, I remember doing twist sets and things like that just to make it curly all over again. And so now I'm like, why didn't you just leave it the hell alone? But I didn't. And I didn't feel like I had options because it was like, but if I don't do it, I can't maintain it. I don't know what to do with it. There wasn't the same level of education or options of how to style it, products. So the journey that I can support somebody through like transitioning now and when I was actively um, behind the chair with new clients, um, because people still ask me questions and I have the knowledge, so I'm going to share it. It didn't exist before. So I felt like it was tough when I tried to do it. And a lot of times I just ended up getting redirected right back to the relaxer because I was afraid of the unknown, if I'm honest about it. You've been listening to the podcast and now it's time to join me and pause on the play, the community. Pause on the play, the community provides an incubator where members can test ideas, ask for support and feedback, and build trusting relationships that expand the ethical marketplace. And one of the ways that you're able to get that support is you have direct access to me and to Erica Corday. Combined with over 30 years of experience, you're getting coaching and consulting at least once every month in a live session where you get to bring your questions, your projects that you're working on and get strategic feedback on what is going to take you to the next place in your brand and with your goals. And that's not the end of that. We also have an evergreen resource library filled with tools and trainings and materials to help you stay visible, help you stay strategic with your brand. And we also have so many collaborative opportunities shared within the community even opportunities like calls for podcast guests to get you out there and get visible amongst new people. So if you've been listening for a while and you're looking for help with your strategy and you would like to meet a community of other brands, humans, and businesses that are happy to connect over shared values and support one another, then I'm going to encourage you to head over to pauseontheplay.com slash community and join us today. The door is open and we're waiting for you to walk in. What we have in common, uh, just giving some context, is we're about eight years apart in age, uh, for those of you that don't know. So with me also doing my transition, I did recalculate it (laughs) because my memory is terrible. Um, (laughs) I was about 22 when we first met. And I had done my transition. And I think what we have in common there is, believe it or not, you know, eight to 10 years later, when I did mine, there still wasn't much education available. I mean, there was like YouTube. And I think back then there was like, what was it called? That social media app that started with a P. Oh, gosh. Oh, it was like the precursor to like Snapchat. But it didn't stay around very long. Oh. Yeah, I don't we'll think about it when we're not trying to think about it. Of course. (laughs) But uh, Periscope, that's what it was. Yes. It was Periscope and people were using Periscope to share like videos on hair or care behind the scenes for natural hair. But at the end of the day, outside of that, um, as somebody who barely knew how to do their hair when it was like chemically straightened, I didn't know what I was doing. And I had looked for several hairstylists and 
the DC area, the Baltimore area, which are two predominantly black areas, mm-hmm. um, and could not find someone who knew how to style natural hair without either putting a weave in my head, meaning that they were going to cornrow my hair to my scalp, um, a gel cornrow style, and then sew a f- had a fake hair over it. Yep. Um, or they were taking the approach of offering like braids, cornrows, and things like that that were styled to be worn out as like the main hairstyle without fake hair over top. I really couldn't find anywhere. And no. I knew that I didn't like having fake hair on top of my head because um, I was just too active and I like washing my hair a lot and it felt, it's just me, but I don't like going with more than a week or so without washing my hair. And then also I had done braids and things like that as a model. And I knew that my hair is so fine and can't handle the tension. So whenever I would do things like that, my hair would literally be being pulled out from the root and that didn't feel good. So I'm like, what do I do? There was no place to figure out these things until honestly, I met you and you started educating me on my own hair and how to take care of that. Well, and I had to acknowledge that I learned from my own research, as well as some of the people that I encountered in the industry that were very giving of, you know, the knowledge that they had and the things that they knew. But as a whole, there's a there was then and still is, to be honest, a huge deficiency when it comes to education around how to style and care for natural hair as well as not positioning it as undesirable. And Mm. so at that point, you know, which when I went natural was probably mm, three years or so before I met you. And there wasn't a lot then. Again, there still is not a lot now. It's still positioned in a very like afterthought type of manner. But it really does put someone in a position that, you don't have someone to partner with you in such a huge undertaking. You don't have anyone to ask questions of that you trust what they're going to um, give you as an answer. You don't have a place to find options for products that are going to work with you, but that are also not going to be counterintuitive to what you actually need because they're created by companies that don't actually reflect you. Yes, beauty industry, I'm looking at you having white men and Asian men often being the ones that head and produce products for black women specifically. I see you. That is absolutely wrong. That's a whole nother conversation. But I had to acknowledge that. (laughs) Right. And so often you have these products that the person that formulated them or created them, they don't understand the hair. They don't understand what is needed and they don't understand why. And so it's just marketing. And so you're out here buying all these products and you don't know what to do with your head and you haven't even addressed like, I don't feel like myself. What am I supposed to do with this? And and that's the bigger thing to me is the fact that, you know, your, your hair is how you show up in the world, right? Whether or not for some people, whether or not you're wearing makeup, whether or not your skin is clear, what outfit you wear, like that can play a big role in how you feel inside about yourself and also how other people perceive you. So, you know, if you haven't been through experiences like this, I think it's important to like clearly lay out what we're trying to say here is that 
something that can seem as small as whether or not you chemically treat your hair as um, women of color is actually really big. It's a revolutionary act, especially when you have people who have never seen their actual truth of who they really are in their adulthood to even have a reference point. And then when you just make that big decision to go and do that, there's so many other things that come with that about your identity and how you see yourself and how other people see you. So uh, I can only speak for me, but I know firsthand some of that came with like really having to examine the long straight hair that I was expected to have my whole life and how that was wrapped up in what people deemed as beautiful as a a woman in America, first and foremost, and then also being a lighter complected mixed race looking black female, um, that if my hair wasn't straight and long, oh, well, I need to fix that. What's going on there? That was a part of me being attractive or beautiful or acceptable. Yes. Yes. And the biggest thing that I think through all of the kind of stages that we've kind of talked through that we both encountered that, again, I've witnessed and supported many people through their own individual encounters with this is that the way that we expressed ourselves and identified with ourselves through our hair at a young age, the choice was not our own. No. And as we continue to get older, it still didn't feel like our own. And even when we chose to take that power back, we were still trying to navigate it with tools that did not help it to feel any more like our own. And for some of us, we felt even more disconnected from it. Absolutely. Um, And it really makes me think about, you know, (laughs) asking yourself if you have children, you know, are you giving them, are you seeking consent from them over their public appearance? Now, to a certain degree, I'm not a parent. So I understand that like, there are things that may not be on my radar. Maybe they need to wear socks and shoes and a coat in the winter. Just right? saying. That might not require consent. But when it comes down to like chemically altering pieces of who they are, um, I know it is more prevalent in other cu- cultures to lighten skin, you know, or to do things to where um, the skin has a more like lightened appearance, whether that's chemical alteration or makeup application. Lightening their hair color is a thing for some cultures. And definitely in the Black community, it's straightening their hair. Like, did you get permission from your child about this? And are you following scripts that were given to you? Have you even examined your own identity and how you feel about what you're doing to yourself before you put that on your children? I think it's such an important question to ask. That piece to me is what stood out. Because are you... Are you doing something to your child who is not given the same level of autonomy to their physical form that will set a precedent in their mind and heart about their worth and their value if they do or do not do this thing? If they change their hair, what does that then say about them? Are you implanting ideas that they then have to go pay a therapist to help them dismantle. Right. I mean, thank goodness. I I personally did not 
I don't think you do need the therapist over our hair, but it is no, a thing and it can, I'm, I'm, I kind of have to be a therapist sometimes to people though. I have to, I yes, you do off because you you're do. like, I can't do this. I, what, a, what is, I, I'm a, I'm a go home and my husband's not going to think I'm attractive or my wife is going to be like, what is wrong with you? My mama's going to be like, baby, you okay? Like you have to navigate those stories. And I also want to acknowledge that because a therapist sometimes is not somebody that has a degree sitting in a chair. Therapy happens in your in your environment. So I gotta call that out too. Yes. And I want to dig into that for a moment. So you made a big decision just like I did many years ago and I'm making again now to mm-hmm. <laughs> not put as many chemicals in my hair. When you did that, did you run into any of those things, any of those confrontations of people saying something to you about what the new hair on your head looked like, good or bad? Oh, yeah. I had some people that would would, would give me the, yes, girl, that looked good. Or I would get the, oh, your hair looks different. And sometimes the tone was like, yay. Sometimes it was like, oh. Bless your heart tone. Right. <laughs> like I'm curious and confused all at the same time. Or the, oh, you did that? Oh, I mean, I, I think you'll be able to make it look good. I, I mean, I, it's not for me though. So it was very passive aggressive sometimes in Ooh, how it was given. That one reminds me of the uh, phrase I used to get. Uh, I could never do that, but it looks good on you. Yes. <laughs> like what the fuck? What does that mean? <laughs> Like, no. And so, like, I got all kinds of, of things. And there were times to where it's funny. I'll have people now that will sometimes make me feel like an oddity. They're like, because I have these, like, almost like little tiny, tiny ringlet kind of curls. And I recently cut my hair shorter at time of recording. And so you can see more of these little tiny coils that I have. And people will be like, well, what do you do to get your hair like that? And I'm like, nothing. That's how it grows out of my head. And they're like, so you didn't do anything? Almost like they don't believe me and they're waiting for me to lie and be like, no, girl, I really do something. I don't. This is my (laughs) hair. This is literally my hair. And I think there's this disbelief of what natural hair does and does not look like in its inherent state. And that in itself is an unlearning that has to happen. Well, okay. So as somebody who has a similar hair texture to you, but not the same, um, I had that I would have thought that you did something to your hair and I'll tell you why, because I had never seen my own hair without a chemical in it before I met you. And then when I did try experimentally to like not use relaxers as much in between us meeting, I didn't know what to do with it. So I could never have gotten it to look like that on my own. I've had time periods, you know, for those of you that don't know where my hair texture looked exactly almost the same as Erica's. And it's because I knew what to do with it. I had someone to teach me how to care for what grew out of my head. Um, but unfortunately, when you grow up only experiencing the the disruption or chemical interruption of your parents or caregivers, it also prevents you from ever learning how to care for what you already have. Right. And there's this reprogramming of what's possible and what your hair can and cannot do. And and being and just being willing to experiment and the understanding that as a as a part of your identity, you can craft what feels good for you. You see people that will 
do two strand twists or braid outs, which are two methods of being able to um, style and manipulate textured hair. And so they are basically acknowledging these are th- some things that I can do so that my hair can look a way that I like, that I enjoy, that I feel good about, that's easy for me to maintain, that I can keep it healthy. And I think that it sometimes is underestimated as such a pivotal piece of our identity and how, you know, again, you're taking the reins intentionally or you are allowing it to be crafted for you. You're allowing for the narrative to be written and you're not a part of the authoring process. So I think it's important to kind of have this place of deciding this is what I want for myself. And hopefully, you know, everybody can find their Erica to their India in that you don't have to do it on your own. Because it is not fun doing it by yourself. And there's a lot more, you know, hiccups and and bumps in the road that you might come across. And it can feel like there's less confidence in yourself in the process without that support, without that access. And honestly, representation is a part of it too. We don't see it heralded as a positive and beautiful and powerful thing very often. So know that if you're choosing this, you are creating imagery that reminds someone else what is possible for them. But, you know, my hope for you is that you don't have to do it alone and that you do understand the inherent beauty in you choosing to craft your identity in this way and utilizing the clay that you have to make your masterpiece. Couldn't have said that better. Um, and I think for those of you listening that <laughs> don't have naturally curly hair and things like that, um, I really want you to examine like where are you trying to fit yourself into a societal mold? And I say that because on the other side of me transitioning my hair, Um, I realized that like, it wasn't just about my texture, but I like really big, full, like Shaka Khan hair. If y'all know what I'm talking about, look her up. She is like the queen of big hair. Mm -hmm. And like that to me feels sexy and confident and fun and also low maintenance, which is important for me. Um, but I never really questioned that because I had never seen that really modeled as an example, what was possible. And I see so many people no matter what racial or ethnic background you come from, that are still trying to fit this mold of being a super straight, like not a bit of a wave in it, um, texture. And also like it needs to be blonde and it needs to be long. And it's like, but most of the people that I know that have subscribed to some form of that, whether it's the color or the texture, that's not what grows out of their head. And as I've seen, even white women start to like, break up with their uh, flat irons and blow dryers underneath that many times is the most beautiful head of like full hair you've ever seen. (laughs) And in that change, I've seen so much more confidence in who they are as they begin to love what comes out of their own body. But I also have to acknowledge the elephant in the room and that some people's hair is naturally curly. Some people's hair is just natural. And that's good too. Like, that's great. That's perfect. It's ideal because there's curls, there's coils, there's kinks, there's zigzags, there's all types of shapes that our hair grows out of our head. And we have this gift of having this hair that defies gravity and stands up straight out of our heads. And that in (laughs) itself is like, wait, your hair does that for real? And it literally does. And 
I'm just acknowledging that because I also want to make sure that I'm kind of debunking the lie that it's only naturally curly hair that is being heralded as acceptable. Your hair can just simply be natural and be whatever curl or coil pattern it is or is not. And it is still the shit. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that when you... When you go through the process of learning to love what already is there, if you've never been able to experience what your hair just does on its own, this is my personal opinion, but it allows you to then decide from a conscious place, are you going to do something different with it? Because that's what you like instead of, I've just always done this out of conformity. Default. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Any final thoughts you'd have? (laughs) I hope that if you are in a position of reclaiming your identity actively for yourself and who you are today, right now in this moment, that you feel emboldened to seek out the support, whether that's individuals, products, structures, knowledge, languaging, mindset work, that you're receiving the things that you need to make that transition in a way that supports you and your goals. I truly, genuinely hope that for you. And I hope that if you don't know where those things exist, that someone around you is willing to share information with you in order for you to get there. Mm, Thank you for that final thought, Erica. Designing your identity goes so much further than the internal pieces. As you begin to unpack, unlearn, and relearn and discover parts of yourself, there's an incredible and important opportunity there to also begin to explore what might need to change as far as your public image as well. And I recently had the pleasure of taking part in a workshop called Writing Your Bio, Different Styles for Different Platforms, conducted by Kim Wenzel of Pattern of Purpose. And in this training, Kim shared the three bio versions that everyone should have, how to bring together the multifaceted aspects of who you are and what you value into a coherent and compelling narrative, specific ways to lend credibility to your profile, and examples of before and after bios from a variety of industries. And Kim also gave a really cool hot seat as well. And what I want to share with you is that my bio personally has evolved so much over the last few years. And a large part of that has been a result of me doing a lot of internal work on how I see myself and what I choose to design my identity to be. And then bringing those findings back to Kim and Kim really working her copywriting magic on reworking my bio, pulling things out of me, credibility markers, past clients that uh, she's inserted into this bio that I otherwise would not even talk about. And so I thought it was so important to make this possible for you to be able to experience something like this. And so right now, if you sign up for Pause and the Play, the community, you'll find in our evergreen resource library access to this workshop replay that you can watch 24-7 on demand and begin the process of exploring your own identity and how that might really begin to shift your bio, whether that's your bio for LinkedIn or your bio for being introduced on podcast. All of these bios add up to that virtual first impression of who you are. And so 
I encourage you to head on over to pauseontheplay.com slash community today, sign up, and for less than $100, you're able to join us for an entire month of which you have access to this training and our entire resource library of a bunch of other trainings to support you and your brand visibility, as well as you, the whole human. We have some cool stuff in there. So head on over, give us a sign up. And I look forward to seeing you there. Now, coming up on the podcast, we have some cool interviews ahead. So I encourage you to keep listening because you're going to hear from some incredible guests about some very interesting areas. I alluded to in the previous episode that um, you're going to be hearing from Jeff Harry. This is an episode that I can't wait for you to be able to dive into. And he's going to be talking about dealing with assholes on social media in a very funny and playful way. And there's just so many other cool things ahead to support you with showing up and continuing to show up in the online world. And I am so grateful that we can say in person again, because things have been opening up a little bit, at least they have been here in the United States. So continue to listen. And in the meantime, I encourage you to definitely let us know through our rating and reviews feature of Apple Podcast or flauntyourfire.com slash rate, what type of episodes you'd like to have more of here on the show. This episode is brought to you by Pause and Play, and you can learn more about its community, its workshops, and its podcasts by visiting pauseontheplay.com. And the Flaunt Your Fire podcast is recorded on the stolen land of my brother's ancestors, the Piscataway people. This land is known by many as the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., and its surrounding area. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?